0: The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. And today our young adult pastor, Eric Keeling, will be ministering to us from the Word of God in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, in a sermon he's entitled, Come to Me. Let's join Eric now in his sermon.
1: If you would... Grab your Bibles and flip to Matthew chapter 11. It's going to be where our passage is this morning. Um, as you're flipping there, I, I want to take a moment and just encourage you. If you were not able to to be here last week, or um, you haven't yet heard the sermon that was preached by Pastor Lou, I, I want to encourage you to take a moment this week and, and listen to it. You can get it on the app or you can go online. Um, but it was a just a great message and a great encouragement out of James chapter 1 um, and really helping us to think about the differences between trials and temptations um, as well as the need for each and every one of us to be willing to examine the lusts that we are allowing to entice us and to carry us away. It was a great message. So I encourage you to take, take some time to listen to that this week if you haven't already heard it. God's word is such an amazing thing. Um the author of Hebrews uh, gives us a, a description of his of the word in Hebrews chapter four he says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. It is piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart god 's Word is such a powerful thing. It is alive. it speaks to our hearts, it speaks to our minds. it speaks to our lives where we 're at and and I want us this morning to to be mindful of just the the power of god 's Word at work in us. This has been a, a hard week for me in uh, both preparing for this message along with preparing for the first reading of the budget meeting tonight which I have some responsibility in um and then I also had some some family stuff this week my uh, my uncle my my dad's brother 81 years old went into emergency surgery on Monday evening um he was had had an infection for some time apparently but was in kidney failure liver failure and septic and uh and so just wasn't sure uh, what was going to come of that. And uh, my mind just kind of racing and going, okay, I got to try to get up there and, and different stuff. He was in ICU uh, for a number of days. I was not able to visit because only immediate family was allowed uh, in there. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but I'm easily distracted. Um, when things like that are going on, it just gets my attention. It, it just draws me away. I've been spending time Reading over this passage, I'd known what I wanted to preach on for weeks, and I'd been reading it and, and thinking about it, but when it came time to sit down this week and to, to put word to paper to know what it is I'm going to say, it was just so hard because I had so many other things just racing. Um, and, and so it was just a, a difficult week. Thankfully, my, my uncle is out of ICU. Uh, he is recovering, but uh, my family certainly would still covet your prayers that uh, he would recover. Um, but as we, we think about that and, and just the, the fact that things come at us so quickly and life is so hectic and, and busy, I, I want us to, to, this morning to, to really ask ourselves a question. Are we, are we ready and are we willing for God's Word to have its way in us? Whether that means that, that God's Word is going to speak truth of encouragement to us or whether that means God's Word is going to speak truth of conviction to us, my prayer is that we would be ready and open to receive that. Uh, The last time I preached, I went through Romans chapter 6. I don't know what I was thinking, why I decided to do that whole chapter, but we did Romans chapter 6 the last time I preached, and, and we talked about the fact that as children of God, that once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that sin no longer has that authority or that power over us that it once had. And that is such an amazing truth that that we must walk in as God's children, as his sons and daughters, to walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. And this morning, we're going to take a look at at what Jesus says in in this call that he makes to, to these folks in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because you are the one who is able. You are the one who who knows the, the end from the beginning. We come to you this morning because... You are the one who calls us to Yourself. You call those who are weary and heavy laden to come to You. You call those who are burdened to come to You. And so this morning we come. We ask that You would would have Your way in us. Transform our hearts and our minds. That we might see You clearly. That we might think rightly. Rightly and that we might be transformed by it in in such a powerful way to live for your glory. And We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So before we get into our passage at the end of chapter 11, I think it's important that we take a little time and and do some background on what had happened earlier in this chapter. Um, Chapter 11 opens with John the Baptist sending some of his disciples to Jesus. Um, His ministry has been going on for some time now, and and John uh, sends some of these disciples to ask Jesus a great question. He says, go and ask him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? You know, John the Baptist was the the forerunner. He was the one that came before Christ. He was the, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, declaring that he is here, the Messiah has come, and now some years later, and and through all of the the struggles of life, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, "Are you the expected one?" because Jesus hadn't done what they thought the Messiah was going to do he He was unsure he didn't know what was going on and and here in matthew we we're, we're we're given jesus' verbal response to that question. He answers them but but in the parallel passage in Luke in chapter seven. We're given a little bit more insight as to what happened when his disciples came to him. It says that when when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind and he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You see, we we know that Jesus had been healing people and performing signs for, for some time now. He had been been accomplishing great miracles for quite a while. But I love the fact that his answer to John's question, we're told in in Luke, is that he wants John's disciples to see with their own eyes what's happening. They're seeing him perform these miracles, seeing him perform these signs. But even more than that, even beyond seeing with their own eyes, it's really the last thing that he says that, that carries all the weight the last part of his answer to them was the most important. He says, the gospel is being preached. They were to report back to John both what they had seen and what they had heard. And all of the, the signs and the wonders of, of Jesus' teachings. If, if you've sat under my teaching at all, the, young, the youth, young adults will tell you that I have said on, on numerous occasions his, the miracles of Jesus were, were phenomenal. They were instantaneous, right? When Jesus said to the, the lame to, to get up and walk, they didn't go to rehab first. Right? They, they they got up and walked. When he said to the blind, open your eyes and you'll see, they, they saw. His miracles were, were just amazing. They were astounding. They were powerful. They were perfect. They were immediate. But they all had one purpose. There was one reason for all of the miracles, the signs, and the healings. It was to validate the message that he was proclaiming. It was to give weight to the message of the gospel that he was the Messiah. It was that they would know that he was true. That was the point. Miracles and and healings and wonders are, are simply temporal apart from the good news of Jesus Christ. The lame still die. The blind, when they get their sight back, they still die at the end. It doesn't last forever. But when you partner it with the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ, there is healing for eternity. It is a powerful truth that comes. And then in the next section, in chapter 11, you jump down to verse 16. We're introduced to to a group of people who can really only be described as people who are against everything. That, that's really just what it is. This is just a group of people who who were against everything. Whatever was said, they were against it. They didn't want to to believe or side with anyone. And you know, there's a a definite danger to this type of attitude. You know, I can say that certainly there have been times in my own life where I was known more for the things I was against than for the things I stood for. That is that is not a good place to be. And I don't want you to misunderstand. Christ absolutely spoke against things. There's a place for that. Primarily, He spoke against false teachers. And He corrected people. But that's not what He was known for. He was known for preaching truth. To prove His point... Jesus contrasts for the people uh, himself and John the Baptist. In verses 18 and 19, he says, For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. It's like, so John came and he was here, and and he didn't eat anything, he didn't drink, he didn't do any of that type of stuff, he was obedient to everything, and, and they're like, Oh, this guy has a demon. And then he says, Oh, and the Son of Man came, speaking of himself, eating and drinking. And their response to me, behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated in her deeds. You see, he's, he's saying the, these people weren't satisfied with anyone. They were just simply against everything. Didn't matter. John and Jesus, they were, they were on opposite spectrums, and yet they were just against them both. They weren't interested in hearing the truth. And we know, as Jesus says, that wisdom is vindicated. By our deeds the truth does bear out and then next he turns his attention now from from these people who were against everything to a a group of people who were essentially known for doing nothing in verses 20 through 24 he says then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? you will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which had occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I've had the privilege of of going to Israel twice now in my life, and and, uh, it is amazing. If you ask me, Where's the one place I'd like to go back to in the world? It's Galilee. I, I love Galilee. Taking a boat ride across the lake where Jesus walked on water. Walking down the Mount of Beatitudes where he had taught his great sermons. Where he had led his disciples. It is an amazing thing to be in Galilee where the ministry of Jesus took place. It just grabs your heart. It opens a word up. But you know, I've been to Chorazin. I didn't go the first time, but this last trip I went on with Austin. We went to Chorazin, and you know what's there? Ruins. It's just ruins of a synagogue that once stood, of a house that was once there. There's nothing left. Capernaum, remnants of a synagogue, remnants of what they think is Peter's mother-in-law's house, and a lot of tourists. But there's nothing else there. These cities are, are gone. They've been wiped out. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this section of Scripture, I'm going to put it up because it's a, a long quote. He says, if I get there, he says, Jesus' harsh reproach against the cities in which most of his miracles were done seems on the surface to be far less justified than his comparatively mild rebuke of those who openly criticized him. For the most part, the three cities mentioned here, which typified all the places where his miracles were done, did not take any direct action against Jesus. They simply ignored him. While the Son of God preached, taught, and performed unprecedented miracles in their midst... They carried on their business and their lives as usual, seemingly unaffected. From the human perspective, their indifference appears foolish, but it does not appear to be terribly sinful. But indifference is a heinous form of unbelief. It so completely disregards God that He is not even an issue worth arguing about. He is not taken seriously enough even to criticize. What a sad commentary to have said of these cities that that saw and experienced the miracles of Christ. They had people in their midst healed. And the commentary is simply that they weren't bothered enough to, to even think anything about it or to do anything about it or to make a different choice. And lastly, before we get into our passage, Jesus says, starting in verse 25, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, sorry, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. What are the, the, these things that Jesus is thankful for that the Father has kept hidden from these people, that, that he's kept hidden from the wise and the intelligent? I think really it's a, a compilation of all of these things. It's, it's that, that he's, he's kept hidden, the, the, or it's a compilation of these miracles and the things that the people had seen, the healings, the, the, the message that they had heard, the gospel preached through Christ, and yet in all of that they had not responded in faith. It's like, I'm glad you kept that all from them. And here we're given a glimpse into God's sovereign election as described by Jesus. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. It should reckon us back to to another statement from Christ in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So after all of this buildup in chapter 11, from, from John's disciples coming to Jesus to ask if He was the expected one, if they had missed Him, what was going on, because He wasn't meeting their expectations, to these people who, who just were against everything, who didn't want to hear any of it, weren't willing to follow anyone's teachings, to, to these people who had seen and experienced these miracles and these healings and just kind of went about their life like it was no big deal, Jesus brings at the end of this chapter an invitation. He introduces us to to all of these different things and then he gives us this invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In reality there there are two parts to this invitation. The first is found in verse 28 when Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This first invitation is it's a call to salvation. This is a call to salvation that He's extending to these folks. He's saying, come to Me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who have been trying to do this on your own. All of you who think that you can earn your salvation. Earn God's favor. Please Me. Come to Me. Come to Me. This, This word that we have is is a copeo i don't know how to do greek pastor luke could do it but it means to labor when he says you're you're weary it means to labor to the point of exhaustion that's what he's saying he's like come to me all of you who have labored to the point of exhaustion all of you who are giving everything you have who are working so hard to try and earn this come to me and you're heavy laden that has the, the picture of of this added thing being put on you from from the outside some some extra weights that are coming upon you. Maybe some added hoops to jump through. Essentially, he's saying to them, you who are exhausted of trying to please God or even to know God, you've worked so hard trying to do this. Come to me and you will find rest. Stop trying to earn this. You cannot earn it. You know, the Jews... Uh, as I said, they had a lot of hoops for, for people to jump through in order to be at peace with God, in order to know God. You know, God had given them the law. They had they had taught the law. They had proclaimed the law. The Pharisees were so good that they even added to it, right? They, they, they gave them extra and said, it's not just good enough to do this, but you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And they put this weight upon people in order to come to God. Jesus is saying, that's, that's not it. It's not about those extra weights. You know, I, I grew up in a Catholic church. I went through First Communion. I went through CCD. I, I was about 13 when I decided I, I wanted to to go and, and find something else. And um, But I remember that there were a lot of things that were told to me that I had to do in order to, to come to God. If you happened to be here a few weeks ago, we had a group called Adams Road here, a group of individuals who, who had come out of the, the Mormon faith and they shared their testimony in worshiping God through song and sharing their testimonies of how they had worked really hard to try and please God and know God and have salvation and go to heaven. And at the end, they realized that none of it meant anything. They just needed to come to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop trying to earn it on your own. Stop trying to to work enough. But you know, it wasn't just the Jews who had added all these hoops, and and it's not the Catholic church and just the Mormon church, but unfortunately I think that there are some some folks even in evangelicalism who like to add to the gospel. You got to do this, you got to do this. Some well-meaning parents Put some stuff on their kids. That's not what it's about. If you get nothing else from the message this morning, I hope that you get this that faith in Jesus Christ is all that is required for salvation. Put your faith and your trust in Him, and you will be saved. And maybe you're here this morning and you've tried really hard to be a good person for whatever reason, whether you were trying to please God, whether you were trying to come to God, whether you just thought it's just right to be good, and I have no idea why you would think that, apart from God. But maybe you've just tried to be a good person, and you are worn out. Know this, there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do to bring you rest and peace with God. We're told in the Scriptures, right? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a single person apart from Christ who walked this earth without sin. All of us. We all have fallen short. We all have have chosen our own selfish ways. We have all sinned. And then Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin. He says that, that payment, that wage that you have earned right? A wage is something you earn. What you've earned is death. And it's not just physical death, but it is spiritual death. It is separation from God, from his goodness, from his kindness, from his glory. The wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's this free gift that has been given to us through Christ. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we were in that state of being His enemies, while we were in that state of, of trying to, to please Him ourselves and all that type of stuff, where we were trying to be good enough or any of that, says that God demonstrates His love and that He sent His Son to die for us, to reconcile us to Himself, to redeem us. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart of a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who He said He is? Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. through For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is the message. Come to me. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Come to me, and you will find rest. You will find rest. You are weary. You are worn out. You are tired because you've been trying to do it on your own. Stop. Come to me and you will find rest. All of you who are weary and heavy laden. He's saying, stop trying to do it on your own. And then we get the second invitation. That that, that first invitation is is really a gospel message. He's saying, come to me. But the second invitation is, is, is one where we are to take his yoke upon ourselves. This is really the the call for for us as Christians once you've accepted that that first invitation now take his yoke upon you. His yoke is similar to these these pictures that you see up on the screen here. And and it was used to to yoke these two oxen together in order to plow the fields, in order to work the fields. And it was a great illustration that that Christ used for them. It was something that they understood. And when the farmers were deciding how they would would pair their oxen together in in the yoke, they wouldn't put two young, immature oxen together in the yoke because they would just be wild. They'd just be doing whatever, you know? They would pair a young ox with a mature one, with an older one, with a stronger one. And he would teach him. That younger one would lead, that, that older one would lead the younger one. He would take much of the weight and, and would say, come with me. And he would teach him how to plow the field rightly. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he is telling us to stop trying to live up to everyone else's and, and even our own expectations. Stop trying to go your own way. We are to come to Christ. We, we need to, to yoke ourselves to him. We need to, to put ourselves under his teaching We are to submit ourselves to him, to come under his instruction. As I said earlier, the Pharisees were really good at at adding extra stuff to, to being a follower of God. And we can be guilty of the same thing. We can be guilty of piling on to these yokes. But in here, he even says, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Because when you yoke yourself to me, it's not going to be this brutal, painful experience. I'm gentle with you. I'm humble with you. I'm going to lead you in the right way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. The purpose of the yoke is to lead us straight, to plow those straight lines. He wants, us to deal, he wants to deal kindly with us. He desires our good. And when we are yoked to Christ, the things that we face in this life, we, we, can, we can get through them knowing that He is on our side, knowing that He is with us, and He is teaching us through these things. So what does it mean to be yoked to Christ? I think based on this context, it would be accurate to say that we are to submit ourselves to Him and to His teaching. You want to be yoked to Christ? Submit yourself to Him and to His Word. It is in here that we find truth. It is in here that we find direction. It is in here that we know the path to go on. This is how He leads us. Yoke yourself to Christ. Come to Him. Enjoy His presence and His leading and His instruction. We are to be looking to understand Him. And this is not a, a let go and let God teaching. That's not what, what we're talking about here. Because even though we are coming into his yoke, he is going to teach us, he is going to guide us that there is still responsibility for us in that. There is still work to be done in that. Imagine the, the young, immature oxen who's, who's in this yoke with, with a mature, strong oxen. Imagine if that young one is trying to go his own way. He's trying to do his own thing, right? You have this picture of this mature, strong ox is just leading right down, plowing. And this other one's like, I want to go over here. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. And he's constantly pulling away. What happens? Boy, he wears himself out, doesn't he? He's wearied. He's burdened. He's not getting what he wants. He's not getting what he thinks he needs. It's like, just come come to me, yoke yourself to me, submit to me, walk this path with me and you will find rest for your souls. You'll stop chasing after all this other stuff and you'll find peace and rest for your souls. He says to us that his his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He doesn't say that come to me and you won't have a yoke. Come to me and there won't be any burdens. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. That is not the message of the gospel. But he says, if you come to me, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will lead you. The Christian life is is not a perfect one. It's not all roses all the time. But when we are living in submission to Christ, when we are learning from Christ, the things of this world certainly are not as overwhelming as they once were. There's hope that we didn't have before, before coming to Christ. I think that was the lesson for me this week. I think as I was struggling to, to figure out how to put this message together and dealing with all the other stuff, I just needed to be reminded to come into the yoke of Christ. To just put myself under go, whatever it is you want, Lord, This is yours. It's not mine. I want to learn from you. I want want you to minister to me in the midst of this. Teach me. Make me a learner. If you find yourself weary, if you find yourself burned out, are you willing to ask yourself, what have you yoked yourself to? Because it's not Christ. It's not Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the opportunity to, to look at your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to meet with you, to meet freely here. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. And Lord, I ask that you would use your word to to accomplish Your purpose in all of us today. Lord, that that You would use Your Word to, to transform our hearts and our minds. Lord, I ask for each of us in here that we would be willing to examine ourselves, to ask ourselves what it is we've yoked ourselves to. Because we know, we know from Your Word, You tell us that if we come to You Your yoke is easy, and your burden is light, and we will find rest for our souls. Father, we thank you for the great love of Christ. We pray that you would just cause that that truth just to, to soak in.
0: For your glory we pray in Jesus'
1: name. Amen.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us today. That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.